I'm about to talk to you about that. We've been continued talking about fervency. We've been talking about fervency in prayer, fervency in, in, in uh, uh, love. Last week we talked about that. Now I want to talk to you about uh, Romans 12 where it talks about being fervent in spirit. But I, I just want to stop for a minute and just, can we just settle this from the start? We need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that the world has that everything we feel and everything we uh, uh, experience in our, in our own souls, like what we go around feeling and, and what we think and what we are afraid of and what we're happy, uh, made happy by, all these things, we need to, to get rid of the notion that those are all accidental or coincidental things. And you need to begin to believe that you have some control over this. That love is not accidental. Right? Hope is not accidental. You got my hopes up. No, the Bible says fix your hope. So you, we go around telling people, well, you got my hopes up. Oh, you let me down. You let my hopes down. You dashed my hopes. Uh, is your hope so fragile? Oh, that really stole my joy. You let it steal your joy. I have no peace. Where did it go? If your peace is in Christ, where did he go? Right? Come on, guys. This is, we, we, we have been trained by a world that says, I feel this way right now. Even the way we talk, even we used to say, I think we should do this. Now we all say, I feel like we should do this, right? Like that's the new vernacular. I feel like, I feel like the engine's making a funny noise. You feel like it is? Is it or isn't it? But we are so feelings led. Now uh, God gave you feelings. God gave you emotion. But he did not create you to be driven by emotion. He created your emotion to be driven by the spirit. Emotion is a powerful thing. God has emotion. Bible says he laughs. The Bible says he's angry at times. He's a joyful. He rejoices. He never loses his temper. He's never dragged around by emotion. But his emotions are a reflection of the divine nature. God created us to feel, didn't he? I don't want to be some spiritually dead doorknob that just, just goes, well, let's go through the most. I don't want to be a spiritual robot. Jesus was moved with compassion. That compassion was spirit-driven. And if Jesus had been driven by his emotion, my goodness, he never would have went to the cross. He would have stopped preaching the first time people really opposed him. So let's be the same way. In Romans chapter 12, we're, we're given a whole laundry list. Well, that makes it sound really lame. Sorry. We're given a whole bunch of exhortations. Does that sound more spiritual? Of, uh, of things that believers should do. And, and these are things you need to stir yourself up about. How many of you believe that you can stir yourself up? Right? Babies need people to feed them all the time. Adults know how to go to the refrigerator and pick something out and, and put it on the table or prepare it and eat it. And so if you constantly need someone to stir you up, I just need to listen to a powerful sermon. Praise the Lord for powerful sermons. But you at some point need to learn how to stir yourself up in the Lord. How to say, it's not right. That I'm sitting here wallowing in my own self-pity. What does God say about this? Can I spend some time in prayer? Can I begin to stir myself up in my most holy faith? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keeping myself in the love of God. Getting into God's word. What can I do? Because here's the thing. I want you to feel empowered this morning. That God has given you the tools. The Bible says he's, we've become partakers of the divine nature, and he has granted us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So everything you need for life and godliness has already been given to you. 
God, you don't have to ask God for it again. It's already been given. It's already been granted. It's already been, it's already there waiting for you. You just have to receive it. You have to know this is how I do it. So here's what it says in Romans chapter 12. And Romans 12, as you know, starts by saying, in light of the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just your minds. Not just your feelings. Present your whole body. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Now he, he goes on and he talks about the different gifts in the body of Christ and how we're all gifted in different ways for the glory of God. And then it says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. And if you were with us last week, we talked about that unhypocritical love, that love without a facade. We as Christians aren't meant to just pretend that we love people. We are meant to love one another, as we read last week, fervently from the heart. How do you know when you really love someone? Well, the Bible tells us, Paul said to the Thessalonian church, he said, I thank God. He, he talked about the, the way they received the word, and he says, I, I rejoice to see your labor of love, your work of faith, and your perseverance of hope. So we find that, that these, these faith, hope, and love have some fruits that go with them. He says, I, I'm really happy to see your labor of love. That word for labor in the original Greek means it's work that's not easy to do. When you love, you labor, right? You'll do things you don't know. You'll do things you wouldn't do for anything else or for anyone else. If you love this person, you'll do things for them you wouldn't do for other people. And so he says, there's been labor that comes out of your life because you love. He says, there's action that's coming out of your life because you have faith. And there's perseverance because you have hope. So I believe that love, how do I know that I really love someone? What is the fruit of my love? How do I pray for them? What's the best way to love your enemies? Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. Speak good. So how do, how do I do that? How do I know that that's real? Because when I pray for my enemies, I secretly want to pray that their car breaks down. And, and I want to pray that, so Lord, how do I really love my enemies? Because he doesn't just say, pray for them. You can hate them, but pray for them. He tells us to love them. One of the best ways to, to root out the, the hate and the unforgiveness and the bitterness in your own heart is to pray for people. Right? Force yourself to, because you, when you and God are in a room, you know, you know those people in your life that you really can't, you can't, pretend around like they know you and, and I mean when I when I uh T and I were about to get married and we were going through premarital counseling uh we could have got all sorts of people because we had a lot of friends in ministry we could have gone through but I I said let's we need David McGrew because David McGrew knows me well enough I said I said I'm a preacher I know all the right answers <laughs> I want someone to say you don't mean that I want someone who knows me well enough to say, don't give me that answer. I know that answer. I wrote that answer. I want someone who's going to be able to tell me, see into my own heart. Well, you're not going to see my heart. He's not God. But I want someone who knew me well enough to speak truth to me. And there's nobody better than that than God. And so you get in a room alone with God and you start praying for your enemies, you know real quick if you're faking it. You know, you know real quick if you're saying things that are truthful because you can't lie to God. And so here he says, that let's let love be without hypocrisy. That, so if, if you notice that your love is hypocritical, don't stop loving. Root the hypocrisy out. Yeah. I know a lot of Christians that say, I'm not going to do it if I can't do it for real. And then they just stop doing the thing they're supposed to do. Instead of doing that, why don't you get rid of the hypocrisy? Then he says this, abhor what is evil. Stay away from it. Cling to what is good. 
You can't just spend your life abhorring what is evil. You have to cling to what is good. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to examine everything carefully. It talks about prophecy, how we are to examine everything carefully, cling to what is good. Same thing, hold tight to what is good. So that's why if if your ministry, if you think your ministry is just uh, finding all the false teachers in the world, you're going to have a very slanted ministry that's going to corrupt your own soul. Because if you're not looking for truth, if you're looking for error everywhere, you'll find error everywhere. Your eyes will light up when you find it. You'll find that you delight in error more than you delight in truth. So if you're going to be a, if you say my ministry is discernment, you need to first discern truth or you'll never be able to discern error. You need to love truth. You need to love the word of God. You need to love people. If you can't do that, you can't discern. So when he says abhor what is evil, don't forget, cling to what is good. You can't live your life just abhorring evil by itself. You have to cling to what is good. Then he says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We talked about this last week and and the week before when we were talking about being devoted to prayer. The word devoted means to be right beside someone if they need you. That that you are, are, it's it's like you're giving assistance to, like you are um, administering to, that you are saying, I'm not leaving this. Be devoted to one another. That that means every day, my life, I've got to ask myself, how am I loving the family of God? Give preference to one another in honor. Put one another first. A couple translations say outdo one another in honor. If you're going to have a competition, see who can compete to to honor each other the most. Then he says, not lagging behind in diligence. The word diligence here, my personal favorite translation of this word is hustle. Because it, it means to hurry up and, and, and to work hard, not to, not to lag behind. Not lag behind in diligence, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So we've been talking about a fervent church. And previously, when we talked about how the church was fervently praying in Acts chapter 12, when we talked about be fervent in your love for one another last week, or how Elijah prayed fervently, that word fervently that we've been talking about, it means extended Uh, A stretched out, so an intensity that doesn't just go away. But this word fervent here is a different word. In the Greek language that this, this letter was originally written in, the word fervent literally means to boil. That's how hot you are in spirit. I told you how one of my friends, uh, Josh, uh, in Spokane, he said uh, the way he said something that just stuck with me. He said, We're meant to be. Uh, he said, we're, we're in a culture full of hot heads and cold hearts, but we need to be cool-headed and hot-hearted. So our culture is full of hot heads, right, blowing up all the time, and cold heart. It's hard to get through to them, hard-hearted and cold-hearted, but we need to be hot in the spirit. We need to be boiling in the spirit, and our heads be cool, you know? How many of you want to go, want, want to go into a sticky situation with a hot head? You know, somebody you can't trust, somebody that's just going to lose it. No, you need to keep your head cool, but you need to be boiling in spirit. You need to be hot in spirit. This is what he says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I actually believe these three things are meant to go together as a nice three-fold strand. These go together. Don't lag behind in diligence. Wow, how do I keep the intensity up? How do I keep that, that effort up? Well, stay hot in spirit. Your spirit will feed the rest of your body. Your spirit is the fuel for everything else. 
How many times have we seen Christians, maybe you're one of these Christians, how many times have we seen Christians that started something on fire for Jesus and then couldn't quit it because they said they'd do it, but the fire is gone, so they're burnt out, they're, they're exhausted, they, they start to resent the very thing God called them to do. I've seen pastors who can't stand the, the sight of their own people, not because they don't like people, but because they are genuinely burnt out. Because when we were on fire, you're on fire, you say yes to the Lord, and you say, Bob, I'm going to have to do this by the grace of God. I can't do it by myself. But if you lose that fire, if you lose that fervency, then, then all of a sudden what you're doing is you're going through religious motions, and you become like a modern Pharisee. You don't, you don't just become a son of hell. You make other sons of hell, Jesus said. Well, that's no fun. Not lagging behind in diligence. I don't want to lag behind in diligence. I don't want to be that person that's slowly, slowly stepping back and stepping back. There are some Christians, when they fall away, because of the lifestyle they came out of, because of their maturity level, when they fall away, it's apparent to everyone in the world. Even their unsaved relatives go, you need to get back to Jesus. Right? These are the people you have to rescue with the white van, you know? You go... <laughs> When they fall away, everyone knows it. There are a whole chunk of Christians, when they fall away, nobody knows it but them. And those that are close and spiritually aware. Because our lives have been cleaned up enough. We're not going to fall away and, and do some crazy thing that the world would go, that's crazy. But what you become is you slowly begin to step back. You begin to step back from people. You begin to step back from serving, you begin to step back from all these other things, you begin to withdraw yourself. And you say, you know what, it's okay. I mean, it's just this time, it's just this. And, 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 and everything that God called you into, that you took steps into, you slowly begin to step back and step back and step back until you still love Jesus and you still say you love people. And you still show up at church services and, you know, you do all those things, but suddenly... Where's the fire in my life? Where, where's the pushing forward? I used to be advancing. I used to be climbing up the mountain, and now I feel like I've been at the same spot for 10 years. What, what happened? You lag behind in diligence, and it could have been because you lost that boiling spirit, that steam engine that keeps the whole thing going. How do I keep fervent in spirit? Well, it's not too separate from the next thing, serving the Lord. Now, to these two things go together. If I'm going to serve the Lord, I need to be fervent in spirit. If I want to stay fervent in spirit, keep serving the Lord. Nobody can stay fervent on their couch. Go ahead. Eat a high-calorie meal today. Stay on your couch all day. See how you feel. See if you're hungry at supper time. Right? If you're not using the calories you're intaking, if you're not burning them up, you're going to feel bloated, you're going to feel gross, you're going to feel like, no, I mean, you, you have these friends that, that work out like six, six days a week, they're up every morning at 5.30 working out, then they do an afternoon workout, those people are insane, but you know, <laughs> but have you ever gone out to eat with them? I had another friend, Josh, in Spokane, this is a different Josh in the same city, and I remember when he was real into the workout lifestyle, and he somehow managed to make it all work. But, I, I mean, I went out to, we went out to, uh, 
I think it was like, a, it was Perkins. It was Perkins. After a, I was speaking at a youth event, and we, we all went out, a big group of us went out, and, uh, and I see what he orders. And this guy is thin as a rail. I mean, he's not thin, like he's lean, he's cut. But he's ordering like biscuits and gravy with the side of gravy, with like this, this. I'm like, how in the world are you eating all that? He goes, I work out all the time. So he's, he's burning up all that. So he's hungry all the time. He's pounding it away. Meanwhile, me, I'm feeling a little doughy, and I'm not even eating half of what this guy's eating, right? Because, I, because I'm not burning what he's burning. And so in the same way, if you say, well, where is the fervency gone? I'd serve the Lord if I was fervent. You'd be fervent if you were serving the Lord. You know? I find that the hungriest people, the people that are most excited to hear the word of God are the people that are out there winning people to Jesus. They're using what they've got. I've said this so many times before, but uh, you, put, uh, you, put firemen, you put firemen gear on a fireman going into a burning home, and they're very thankful for it. You put firing, fireman gear, you put all that gear on a kid playing, playing Nintendo or whatever, playing PS5. That kid's not going to appreciate that gear. It's, it's burdensome. It's hot. It's heavy. Why? Because he's not using it. All the gear God puts on you is for a purpose. But if you just sit around and say, well, maybe the fire will come to me. It probably won't. <laughs> and if it does, you're probably not going to be ready for it. <laughs> Look what it says here. Let's keep going. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to read this in this context. All of these things are part of being fervent in spirit. All of these things go with being fervent in spirit. So if I want to direct that fire, if I want to focus that fire within me, this is what you do with it. How many of you have felt before, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I know many of us have felt before, like I've got all this passion for the Lord. I've got all this fire for Jesus. I just don't know what to do with it. Right? I don't know how to focus it. And it ends up burning out because it's got no focus. Yeah, it, it ends up just kind of like it, it never had a purpose, so it just goes away. Well, the scripture is so good about telling you, here's what you do with it. You know, the Bible doesn't just tell us love. It tells us what love looks like. Right? So it tells you this is what love looks like. If your love doesn't look like this, then it's not love. Okay. So how do I, what do I do with this fervency of spirit? Well, going back to the very beginning, he's telling you, well, love one another. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't lag behind in diligence. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Persevere in tribulation. Be devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Guys, this is not a roadmap for a super believer. This is a roadmap for every believer. And what we need in the church of North America is to start to believe that believers are believers and the church is the church and there's not some special few that are called to this, but we all are. Paul doesn't say, hey, all, everybody that's been saved 20 years or more, listen up. He doesn't say, all right, closed door elders meeting. It's only for the elders. No, he says, he just talks to the believers. The book of Romans is one of the most foundational letters to believers from the very start. You probably got saved from a verse in the book of Romans. 
So this is not, this is not Christianity 303. Right. Is that a course? <laughs> it's a road. <laughs> we drive down Christianity 303 every Sunday. This is not some advanced course. This is not some doctorate program. This is basic Christianity. The one thing about when you go to other parts of the world, you start to realize what they consider basic, we consider advanced. Now, often, we're more advanced in our theology. but They're far more advanced in their action. If I had to guess at which God prefers, you know where I'm going. Theology is important, but theology without action is just two people talking. So, this is for all believers. Are we, are, we, are we praying? Are we devoted to prayer? Are we devoted to each other in love? Are we giving preference to one another in honor? Are we giving? Are we practicing hospitality? My goodness, we live in Lloydminster. Once my garage door closes, leave me alone. <laughs> right? That's why I have a garage door. If you can catch me on my way there, or while I'm mowing my lawn, then fine. But leave me alone once I get in. But that's not Christianity. That's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way says, I'm going to practice hospitality. I'm going to put hospitality to work. That doesn't always mean that, that someone's staying in your basement all the time. But it means that you're going out of your way to take care of the people God loves. And then he goes on and he says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now, if you read this and say, that sounds exhausting. It sure does. Without Jesus, without that spirit of God, yes, it does. If you ever read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and, and don't feel overwhelmed, you know, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know, I know that feeling of being overwhelmed at going, Lord, how in the world would I do that? And he, his response to all of us is, you can't. That's why you need me. That's why you need the Spirit of God. This is not, uh, this is not instructions for humans without the Spirit. This is instructions for born-again believers. And even when Jesus preached it before the cross, he was giving them a picture of the kingdom and showing them what it was going to be like when they had the Spirit. Because he said, you've heard. And he had already told them it's impossible. You guys are failing at the law. You're not able to do it. You're putting a burden that nobody can bear. And then he goes and he says, here's what the law says, but I'm going to take it further. He kept doing this in the same way. Doesn't it sound somewhat exhausting to say, I need to bless those that persecute me? I need to bless them? How do you pray for people that persecute you? We have very strategic prayers that we can pray. Lord, uh, I pray that they, would, uh, that they just uh, come to their senses. Lord, that they would repent. And if they don't repent, Lord, you take care of them, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we begin to talk to God like we're talking to a mafia boss. I ask, I ask you this favor. Don the Father, God the Father. Um, would you take care of this person? Uh, bring them to repentance if they're willing. If not, you know what to do, right? I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do, but they're going to get got, right? Like, you know, take them out in the canoe, and if one person comes back, I get it, right? That's not how we pray. He says, bless them. Bless means you have to actually want something good to happen. Oh, man, isn't that a, 
It's a barometer for your own spirit and your heart, isn't it? Bless and do not curse. Watch your mouth. Let's watch our mouths. Well, I don't curse. I don't say swear words. Where did he say swear words? This is not, this is not profanity. Cursing is when you're using that power of life and death in your tongue to speak death. Moving on. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, that sounds somewhat exhausting to me. There's always somebody rejoicing. There's always somebody weeping. How, how do I have the capacity to identify with them in that moment? Well, isn't this what Jesus did? Isn't this the incarnation? God became one with us, one of us. He lived our life. He experienced our pain. He laughed with us. He cried with us. He ate with us. He did all these things. And he didn't just do it to show you that he could. The Bible says he did all these things so he could be a faithful high priest to us. A high priest's job is to minister on behalf of God to the people and minister on behalf of the people to God. Have you ever considered that ministry is you being an intermediary between God and people? Ministry, like a waiter, is you going to the kitchen, getting what the chef prepared, and bringing it to the people. And in many cases, the Bible tells us, how can you minister? You know, Paul says it so many times in his letters to the churches, that I, I, love, I, I carry you in my heart. I long for you with the affections of Christ. I thank God every time I think of you. I, I'm, I'm grateful for you. Even people that really made his life rough. And so when I'm rejoicing with those who rejoice, you say, I just don't have... I don't have the bandwidth for that. Weep with those who weep. This is, a, this is something that when you're fervent in spirit, when there's that, that boiling over of the spirit, you are, in, in a way, you are living out intercession. See, we all kind of understand intercessory prayer, at least theoretically. Like, I understand when I'm interceding for someone, I'm praying for them. But there's so much more. The word intercede means to stand in a gap between somebody, to be a bridge and, 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 and oh, I've been learning so much from some of, the, some of my mentors in the faith who, who have lived out this intercessory lifestyle. It would be a lot easier for them if they didn't. They could just go through life feeling good or feeling down when they want to feel down. But instead, they're putting themselves in a position where they say, Lord, I want to identify here. I want to, I want to intercede for this person. I'm going to stand in the gap for this person. I'm going to allow myself to take some punches for this person because I love them that much. In verse 16, he says, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind. Don't be uppity. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. But associate with the lowly or the humble. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't think yourself the smartest person in the room. And I need to focus on this for a second because I want to tell you this is one of the things that, that one of the, the, the most common things that kills the fire in a passionate believer. Because I've known many, many young men and women or older who've gotten so on fire for Jesus that they had to shake people at the door. We're telling people to shake hands. They're shaking shoulders. They're so excited, right? But then they begin to believe, I'm the only one here that is passionate. If, if, if nobody else's expression is like their expression, they go, I'm the only one that's on fire in this church. Why aren't you on fire? And, and, and the enemy is slowly shooting those darts of arrogance and pride. They start to think, oh, I, I watched this YouTube video. I've 
I'm smarter about this than you are. I read this book. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit smarter than you about this. And pride makes shipwreck of so many people's faith. If you just be humble. You know, uh, yeah, when I, when I was about to get married, I, I went and talked. I would just every, every now and then ask somebody that's been married for 40, 50 years, what's, what's your secret? And just ask them. You know, and, and I'm talking about people that love each other. I'm not talking about people that are staying together, <laughs> hating each other, but believe that it would be a sin to divorce so they stay together. I'm talking about people that genuinely love each other. You know, passion looks different in a couple that's been married 50 years than it does in a couple that just got together. They both might be passionately in love, but that passion looks a little different, doesn't it? You don't say you don't got, you guys don't love each other like we love each other. Look at look at how we love. Look at look at look at how we hold hands all the time and our, our fingers are intertwined. Why don't you guys do that? I guess you're not in love. No, they've learned some stuff. Sit down and listen for a bit and find out how they've lasted this long still loving each other. So maybe sometimes when we feel so on fire for God and we look around and go, you don't express it like I express it. We take the time to say, is the fruit coming out of their life? They may not be on the same surface emotional uh, high that you're on, but is fruit coming out of their life? That's a question we need to ask. We also need to say, well, let's, not be, let's not be haughty. Let me realize that I was also not on fire. And uh, the Lord had mercy on me. And he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone, to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You know, these are the things that a fervent spirit begins to walk out. And you know, I, I used the word passion before. Passion is a tricky word. Passion actually comes from a word pathos, which means to feel something. Like it's, it's, it's what you feel. And so it's a tricky word because, in fact, the New Testament talks about not being led by your passions, which means don't be led by the, just your, your intense feelings, right? Get those under control. That's how you fast, right? When you fast, you learn how to control that, that hunger. You say no to the, your belly that says, I want to eat. Scripture tells us that husband and wife, he said, don't deny one another. You guys should be intimate with one another except for the purpose of prayer. There's a time where you're saying we're, we're going to take these days to pray and we're going to not let our passions take over. We're going to be self-disciplined and there's a time for that. He says don't do that permanently, but there, you might have a few days of prayer where you do that. So the scripture teaches us how to control our passions and get them in submission to the spirit. But then I would say on this that the scripture does talk about zeal, doesn't it? And so there is a godly passion, a godly zeal, a godly fervency that you should have. And if you're sitting here going, I do not have that, then don't despair because you can. We need to once again get out of the nonsense of the world that says if it hits you, it hits you. And stop ask, acting like this is a spiritual lottery where some people get it and some people don't. And you need to realize this is entirely in your realm that God has given you of ability to stir up. Stir up yourself. If I don't feel passionate, if I don't feel zealous, be zealous. And the feeling will follow. Stir yourself up in the most holy faith. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. How many of you are spending time praying in the Spirit throughout the week? 
How many of you are spending the time getting into the Word? There is is an environment that yields that kind of fruit. Well, so would we just keep showing up at the garden going, huh, no tomatoes this year, eh? I planted tomato seeds. I don't see anything. Have you watered it? Have you weeded the garden? Have you tilled it? Well, no, I just put the seeds in there, and I figured if I was supposed to have tomatoes, I'd have tomatoes. Well, you don't have tomatoes because you didn't take care of your garden. Friends, your heart can be tilled. It can be weeded. Your soul needs to be weeded. Let's stop acting like this is all accidental. It's the same way we talk about revival, isn't it? Oh, man, if revival came, what in the world is stopping you from being revived? What, I mean, what, what, what's left, huh? The crucifixion part two? Pentecost two, electric boogaloo? Like, what do you need? Just, just, uh, what's left? Uh, are we, are we, are we, are we living in, uh, let me not get off on that sidetrack of, all right, I'm going to stay on track. <laughs> we'll talk again another time, but. This is something you can stir in yourself. This is something God's given you all the tools for. Absolutely. And so if you're saying here today, and I sympathize with you because I've been there. If you're saying, I, I hear what you're saying, but that's not me. First of all, remove personality from it. It's not about personality. We have extroverts. We have introverts. We have people that are louder and quieter, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being boiling in spirit. We're talking about being hot in the spirit. And you can be this. You can be fervent. You can be excited for Jesus. You can be passionate for the things of God, zealous for good works. And maybe you need to pluck some weeds out of your garden. Let's go back to the parable of the sower. Do you have a hard heart? Check it. How are you responding right now to the word of God? Is it bouncing off your hard heart or is it sinking a little bit in? Do you have a shallow heart? Jesus says there's a group of people that get real excited every time he preaches. And they see the miracles and they hear the sermon and they rejoice. But it has no firm root within themselves. So when things get hard, they fall away. When affliction or persecution arises because of the word. And I I need you to hear that, because of the word. Affliction doesn't arise despite the word, it arises because of the word. The very fact that you heard the gospel today means the enemy is out to get it from your life. Because he knows what happens if you get a hold of this. If you get on fire for Jesus and you don't let anyone take that away and you say, this joy that I have, the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. This peace I have, the world can't take it away. If you begin to grasp what God has put in you, the treasure you hold by the Holy Spirit, if you begin to become a believer that's living in Pentecost and not just experiencing it once a year, but is keeping full of the Holy Spirit, then my friends... My friends, the enemy is terrified of you. You're his worst nightmare. So, of course, if we talk about love, the enemy wants to get you into a fight with your spouse on the way home. Of course. What you need is a divine alarm system in your own mind that says intruder alert, intruder alert. Because the problem with most of us is every time the enemy lies to us, we think it's us talking to ourselves. Well, God would never use you. You're, 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 you fail all the time. You're, you're basically a serial loser. Why would God use you? And you think you're saying all that to yourself. 
that's just bad self-talk. Yeah, it's self-talk when you adopt it. But you need to recognize that's the enemy speaking. And no, you don't have a right. And you need to open your mouth. Don't fight thoughts with thoughts. Fight thoughts with words. Open your mouth like Jesus did and say what the word says right back at the devil. You are being tempted to think a certain way, to talk a certain way, to live a certain way, and respond to temptation as Jesus did. And as possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I know that most of the time when we think of people that are fiery, we don't think of people that are peaceful. But this is, this is what Jesus was. This is what a fiery guy, like, here's the thing. Paul was fiery. He was zealous. But he said he was zealous because he said it about his friends. He said they, they have a zeal, but it's without knowledge. Right? Zeal without knowledge is a wildfire. And it's going to cause more damage than good. And so I, I really believe someone that's on fire for God will be somebody that, that is a, not only peaceable but a peacemaker. You know, we read last week that in the last days, here's a sign of people that are falling away is that they're irreconcilable. They will not be reconciled. They refuse to, to come to a truce. So the fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, and peace, patience, right? The Bible says in, in the book of James that there is an anger, uh, or sorry, there is a wisdom of the world, and there's a wisdom that's from God, and the wisdom of the world is demonic. It's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. It, 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 the fruit of that wisdom is strife and jealousy, selfish ambition, anger, fits of rage, all of that. But the fruit of the Spirit, you know the fruit of the Spirit. He goes, the wisdom that's from God is peaceable, gentle, reasonable. And the, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So somebody that's on fire for God is going to be one of these people. You're going to see all these things in your life. Now, if we're of the camp that says, if God wants me to be fiery, he'll send me fire from heaven. If God wants me to be on, uh, you know, passionate for him, he'll give me a passion. If you think that, congratulations, you're most likely going to stay lukewarm all your life. Because what you're saying is, Jesus is not knocking right now. He's not knocking on the door of my heart. I hear no knocking. But if he were to kick down my door and drag me out of bed, then I would eat with him. Is, is that what the scripture says? Let's read this in Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14. So the angel of the church in Laodicea, when he says angel, he's talking about the messenger, so the, the preacher. Preach this to your church. Tell this to your church. From Jesus. It's in red letters. The amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Now, first of all, wait a minute. He didn't say, I know your heart. He said, I know your deeds. Your life will tell you if you're hot or cold. It's not about your feeling. It's about what, what are you doing with your life? What's coming out of your life? I'm not talking about a gospel of works. I'm talking about faith that produces action. And look what he says. He says, I know your deeds. Well, you can say you're on fire for Jesus, but he knows what's going on. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor you're hot. And in Laodicea, they were well known for their 
mineral hot springs that people would travel from all over to be revived by. They were known for the cool water that would roll, run down the mountain that you drink. So you'd have the hot mineral springs that were known to have healing, curative powers. You had the cool, cold, refreshing streams falling from the mountain that would refresh somebody, revive somebody. But Jesus is saying, what you're famous for, you're sure not exhibiting because you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you'd pick one. Because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I've got no time for this. And because you say, oh, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, that sounds like the harshest thing that the good shepherd Jesus would say to you, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. He doesn't say things like that to me. This is not how my Jesus talks to me. Well, why would Jesus say such things? It's embarrassing for your whole church to get this letter. Friends, we got a letter from Jesus. Oh, wow. A letter from Jesus. Everybody pay attention. Oh, he's going to read that letter. Jesus sent us a letter. I'm going to spit you out. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Now, if he said amen at that point, shut the book and went home, this would be a really, really negative letter. But he's not done. He's not done. He says, because of that, I advise you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. See, the Lord is not trying to humiliate you. The Lord is covering you with his righteousness. He says, you need to come to me and find the solution Here's the problem. If you never recognize there's a problem, you'll never find the solution. So our, us as believers, we first need a wake-up call so that we can realize we need the help. I've known people that say, I really think I'm sick, but I can't go to the doctor because I'm afraid of what he'll say. The doctor's just going to tell you what's going on. The doctor does not give you a disease, hopefully. If he does, you go to a different one. The doctor does not place, is not placing a tumor in your body, but they might tell you if it's there so that they can do something about it. Now, we serve the great physician who's so much better, and, and he sees everything in our hearts and our souls. And so you don't say, well, why, Jesus, that's not very nice. That's not, I mean, you're not very kind to me right now. He's being straight with you so that you can get what you need. He says, I want you to be rich in the things I have for you. I want you to have what you need. I don't want you to be naked. I don't want you to be blind. I want, I want to give you eye salve, he says here. But get eye salve for me so that you may see. So the problem is not that Jesus just doesn't like people that don't have all this stuff. He, it, the problem is, is that you don't have what you need and you think you do. And if you think you're full and you think you're fed, you'll never pull up to the table. He is saying to us, friends, I love you enough that I'm going to tell you the emperor's not wearing any clothes. Put this on. Isn't it a loving thing when someone comes and you see somebody who's, who's had an accident or they, something's happened to their clothing and someone comes and puts a coat around them right away. That's love, isn't it? That's love. I want you to know that there's a, there's a disease in the church that says, 
I have everything I need. I don't need new, I don't need to hear from the Lord. I've already got it. I already understand all this. I've learned all this. I've already grown to this point. I don't really need you telling me anything. I don't need, I don't need correction. I don't need, you know, and we get all arrogant and say we don't need anything. And he goes, you don't realize how bad off you are. But I have what you need. See, God isn't even offering them nickel. He's offering them gold refined by fire. He wants them to have everything that he's got for them. But you will not pull up to the table unless you're hungry. And one of the things I dream, whenever I preach here, I pray. I pray, Lord, stir up a hunger in our people. Because hungry people get fed. There's a, there's a disease that, that people are born with. And it's very rare, but some kids are born with this, and it's a disease that, that causes them not to be able to feel pain. We say, oh, that sounds lovely. I'd love to not feel pain. It's a real problem because these kids don't know when they're hungry. They don't know when they have to go to the bathroom. They don't know when their hand is on the stove. Congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. These kids have these, these, this problem where they, they can't feel pain. They can't experience it. And so, you know, there's, I read a story about one kid. He had to set an alarm every few minutes so that he know to go to the bathroom. When he was a baby, they had to put a feeding tube in him because otherwise he wouldn't eat because he didn't know he was hungry. He never feels hungry. So he has to be told to eat. Did you know that we as believers, we as human beings could feel full and not be hungry and yet be starving to death. And the Lord doesn't want that for you, friends. He doesn't want you to live in lukewarm reality. Oh, he loves you so much. What torture, friends. He has called you to be a son, a daughter, not a slave. A slave says, I have to do this, but I don't want to. A son or a daughter says, I'm part owner. I'm an heir to the kingdom. I get to do this. I get to be in my father's business. Friends, he wants you to do it with joy. Even in the midst of persecution and tribulation, he wants you to do it with joy. Saying, I am so honored to be in the ministry with Jesus. And his grace is sufficient for me. It's abundant. His power is made perfect in my weakness. He wants you to wake up and say, I know this is what I was born for. And the Lord loves you so much, he doesn't want you to wallow away in cultural, normative Christianity, nominal Christianity, where we show up just because we're supposed to. Oh, he wants you to be passionate and fiery. He says, I want to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I'll reprove. The word reprove means point out something that's wrong. Once again, let, let me expose the culture. Now, the reason I keep saying the culture is because this is what we're marinated in every day. So you need to wake up. We need to kind of wake up to it. The culture tells us if you love somebody, you, you, you don't point out what's wrong. You just let it go. Now, love covers a multitude of sins we read last week. But that cover doesn't mean like a cover-up. It means to make up the distance means my love for you, when you fall short of my mark for you, I'm going to make up the difference. I'm going to bridge the gap like Jesus did. I'm going to lay my own life down for you like Jesus did. Jesus did not ignore sin. He died for it. Sin did not go unpunished. Jesus paid it all. In the same way, friends, he says, I reprove. If I love you, I'm going to point out something wrong so it can be fixed. And I discipline. Thank God the root word of discipline is disciple. He disciples you, doesn't he? Therefore, be zealous. Be zealous and repent. 
Be zealous and go back. Be zealous and change your head. Change your thinking. Turn around. Be zealous about this. Don't, don't begrudgingly do it. Behold, pay attention, he says. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and I'll dine with him and he'll dine with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, she who has an ear, whoever's got an ear in this church, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Jesus is always knocking. Well, half of us sit around saying, someday he'll knock on my door. Carve the wax out of your ear and realize he's knocking right now. You need to let the sound of God, you need to let the voice of God, the knocking that Jesus is doing. Remember, he says, I'm knocking, but if you hear my voice... So the great deception in our day, the great danger in our day is that the believers would hear, have so much sound in their life, so much competing sound in their life, so much noise in our life. We're so busy that it's not that we don't hear, it's not that God's not speaking, it's just we just don't recognize his voice above the rest of the noise. It's canceled out. And I'm praying today that the Lord would awaken something in us. You know, we, I, I had the honor of ministering last night to Blessing Church in Hanoi in Vietnam. Actually, more than just Hanoi, they were all over. I was at uh, Brother Kwong and Sister Tu's house, and we uh, preached the Sunday morning service at Blessing Church in Vietnam. Is what, isn't technology wonderful? In the past two months, I got to preach on Pakistani TV and then Vietnamese church. I mean, it's, it's a fun, it, the kingdom of God is getting bigger and smaller at the same time. It's, it's wonderful. But here's the one thing. One of, one of the brothers who was um, just giving the announcements or the news, he said this, and it stuck with me. I thought it was a great thing. He was encouraging them. They were talking about their prayer meetings that they have every morning at 5 a.m. Anybody signing up for that? <laughs> right? Come on. If we're going to pray for revival, maybe start thinking about what it looks like. Okay. So they get up every morning and they pray. Yeah. He said something that, that I just thought was so simple and yet so profound. He said, why don't you let the first voice you hear in the day be the voice of God? The first voice I hear to be God's voice. How would that set the course of your day? Before you roll over and check your phone, before you turn on the news, before you drive to work, let the first voice you hear be God's voice. When you hear his voice, you let him in. When you let him in, he comes and eats with you, and he shares what he has. And when Jesus is at the table, you're never the same, friends. Zacchaeus could not stay the same for two minutes sitting at the same table with Jesus. You want fervency? Spend some time with Jesus. You'll be fervent. Amen. Praise God. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus.